Good morning, Village Church East. So good to see you this morning. Uh, welcome. Yes, take your luggage with you. Thank you, Brent. Uh, Brent gives announcements like he's teaching a class, doesn't he? I love how Brent gives announcements. Uh, what's that? Me too. Yeah, do you? Okay, good. You got one, one, uh, one behind you out of the whole group. <laughs> In John chapter 21, Jesus has limited time. He's about to go back to heaven. He has just died on the cross, risen from the dead. This is post-Easter stuff. He has 40 days where he is walking around, visiting people, having relationships, eating, drinking. We're told all of this in scripture. Three times we have recorded information of conversations Jesus has with his disciples. Each of these three times are crucial moments for his disciples to grab these last nuggets of gold from Jesus before he leaves them. He is about to leave them in charge of the entire methods of Christianity. They are going to be in charge. He will not be there anymore to help them understand what they are to do. By this time, hopefully they've learned everything they can learn and they're able to carry on the message of the gospel and build the church on their own. In one of these three recorded conversations, we have in John chapter 21. And here Jesus leaves one of these nuggets of gold for especially Peter, but also for us. In John chapter 21, Jesus shows up one of these 40, uh, one of the days in these 40 day period, in this 40 day period, while his disciples were fishing. They had been out all night. They had fished all night, they'd caught nothing. Now for fishermen, this is a fairly disappointing endeavor. You go fishing so that you can catch fish. So they're bummed that Jesus is gone, so they're doing what brings them joy. I can identify with that as a fisherman, right? I have a bad day, I'm just gonna go, you know what, I'm just gonna go fishing, I get that. But then to go fishing and catch nothing, big goose egg, that's, 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 uh, uh, you know, that, that's salt in the wound. They fished all day, they have caught nothing. They are about to experience one of the most significant moments that they've ever had with Jesus Christ, which is why we have it recorded for us in John chapter 21. Jesus was not a fisherman. Jesus did not intend to be a fisherman, they were the professional fishermen. They should know how to fish. But Jesus, just in case you're wondering, Jesus likes to play pranks. <laughs> Every once in a while, Jesus will do something to illustrate something to these disciples that when we get in church and we learn about the stories, it's like, oh, that is a very high and holy story to learn about. But in reality, Jesus is goading these guys. Like for instance, you remember when Peter's like all worried about uh, the government coming in and taking all our money? <clears throat> Jesus says, render unto Caesar that was to Caesar, unto God that was to God. Do you know the illustration God gives Peter in order to push that home? He makes him go fishing and catches a fish, and in the fish is a coin in the mouth of the fish. Now you tell me if that's not a practical joke. <laughs> in other words, Jesus is saying, listen, you can, you can get money out of fish's mouths. Don't worry, I'll take care of you. Caesar gets what's Caesar, and you make sure that God belongs where God belongs, stays where he belongs. 
This is one of the moments Jesus is about to pull a prank on his disciples in order to draw a message out for them that they will remember. He sees them after they've been fishing all night. They're all bummed. They haven't caught anything. And so Jesus from the bank, of the, from the shore, calls out and says, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? Now think about that. I'm fishing on the left side of the boat. I'm catching nothing. So what's the solution? I'll put the nets on the right side of the boat. Right? It makes no sense whatsoever. Right? That's the point. Jesus is pulling a prank on them. Why don't you throw it on the other side of the, the boat? So they do. And after they do, they caught 153 fish on the other side of the boat. Now they know this is Jesus because Jesus has pulled this prank on them once before. This is not the first time this has happened. And Peter, it clicks with him. So they are only about 100 yards out from shore but Peter doesn't wait for them to row in because Peter has disappointed Jesus. He's betrayed him three times, not just once like Judas. Peter has denied Jesus three times. And Peter has already probably, we're not told specifically, but all the disciples have seen the Lord there in that upper room moment. But he keeps showing up in different places and this is during that 40 days, we're not told when, but we're told that all of a sudden, this guy from the shore, throw him down the other side of the boat, they do, they pull in the fish, they realize it must be Jesus and Peter doesn't wait for them to row back. Peter <laughs> takes off his jacket, throws himself in the water and swims for shore. It's the fastest way in. What does that tell you about Peter's heart? Interesting. Desperate to see his Lord. John immediately screams out, it is the Lord, although they all knew it. And then all of a sudden, Peter is face first in the water. They get to shore and they start cooking breakfast. And Jesus has breakfast with them because they'd been fishing all night, remember? Haven't caused anything. Jesus shows up in the morning, it's time for breakfast. Wouldn't that be an amazing breakfast to have with somebody that you loved that had died and now is back to life? And fresh fish, yes. I wasn't exactly thinking about that, but okay, we can take that too. After breakfast, it's time for a talk. And here's what Jesus says. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples, it says in John 21, 14, after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. By the way, Peter in the Greek is the word Petros. Right? The word rock is Petra. Peter was named after a rock. He might have been as dumb as a rock or he might have been as sturdy as a rock. Depending on how you like Peter, choose your meaning, all right? Petra, Petros. Simon, son of John, do you love me, Jesus says, more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, what did he say, church? Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. We just had this conversation. Jesus said to him, tend my, what church? Sheep. Tend my sheep. Then he said to him the third time, it's like he's hard of hearing. <laughs> Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, if your wife asks you if you love her three times, 
there's probably something deeper going on. Jesus is driving some sort of a point here for Simon that he is not prepared for. And so he becomes sad. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Four observations. Observation number one. This is one of the first three recorded conversations Jesus has with his followers over this 40-day period, and it's only about one thing. What is it about? Care for the sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus has a limited time. He's going to lay into their minds what he needs for them to dwell on while he's gone in the time they have left to live. They're going to establish a church. They are going to carry the message of the gospel. They are going to turn the Roman world upside down with the message of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, of all the topics that he could choose, Jesus keeps pounding home into Peter's heart and in his mind, Peter, your life is about taking care of my sheep. The only other two recorded times that we have of Jesus' conversations with the disciples are the Great Commission, and then we have him on the Mount of Olives as he's ascending. Those are the only other two times. Those are the three times. One is about feed my sheep. That's this one. The other one is about go and tell others. That's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Tell others. And the third is I am going and I will come again while I'm gone. Go and take the message. Do you sense a common theme here? (laughs) Go be a witness. Go make disciples. Join together and get busy telling other people about what really matters in this world. And what's most important is my sheep need to be fed well. They need to be taken care of. Observation number two. This is the second time the fishing joke happens. The first time that this... this, uh, this, um, this joke happens that Jesus pulls on his disciples is at the beginning of Peter's ministry. You probably may not have known this. Jesus calls Peter into ministry in the same way that he deals with him this time. You can read about this uh, in the beginning of um, of the book of Luke when Peter is called into ministry. But here's what happens. These guys, these fishermen, had been fishing all night, again. And guess what? Do you think they've caught anything? No, it's the same scenario. They'd been fishing all night, they had learned about the Messiah, but they had not yet met Jesus Christ. Jesus is walking along as as usual at the beginning of his ministry, and throughout his ministry, a large crowd was following him. So as he's walking along and the large crowd is following him, they asked if he would teach them. And he wanted to, but there were so many of them, and they were right on the shoreline that he had no way for them to hear what he would say. So he comes upon a boat and a fisherman, and guess who the fisherman was? Peter. And he says to Peter, Peter, would you loan me your boat so that I can go out on the water? Now, those of you that have been uh, on the shoreline, you know that when you speak, on, uh, if you were to speak from a boat, your voice will echo off the water. You've seen that, right? 
So Jesus says, can I use your boat to pull offshore so I can teach these people, I can feed them the word of God. So he jumps in Peter's boat and Peter rows out. Peter doesn't know who Jesus is. He might have known his claims, but he doesn't know who he is yet. And so Jesus begins to teach. And I can just imagine Peter probably, because there's no internet, there's no computers, there's no television, there's no way for Peter to have heard Jesus teaching unless he made an effort to go to somewhere where he's teaching. So this is probably the first time Jesus, uh, Jesus is heard by Peter. He's done teaching. Peter's done listening. And then Jesus turns to Peter, who's in the boat with him, and he says, how's the fishing? And Peter says, ah, don't ask, man. We've been out here all night and caught nothing. And he said, ah, throw your nets on that side of the boat. This is the first time. So he says, well, and I, I don't even know what the conversation could have been like. We're not told about Peter's reaction, but I can just imagine if you're the professional fisherman and you got some pastor that comes along and he says, listen, I got a great idea. Throw your net over here. You might laugh a little bit. You might mock, scoff a little bit, but Peter does it. And they get so many fish in, they can't pull the nets in. They have to actually go to shore to pull the nets on shore. Do you know what Peter's reaction was at that point? You can find it in Luke chapter five and verse 10. Peter's reaction was, he was afraid. Why would he be afraid? My guess is Jesus wanted to take a moment in time and plant an activity, a moment in Peter's mind. You all have moments in your mind that you remember, right? Things that you don't remember every day of your life, nobody does, but you have snapshots, moments. And probably something happened in those moments where you can remember things that happened at that one place. Maybe it's a smell that'll set it off or, a, or you'll see a building or a picture of somewhere that you've been before or there's something that, that pictures it and you can remember a picture, a snapshot in time. Jesus uses this to give Peter a snapshot in time so that he can think back on it when he needed to. Jesus plants this moment in his skull. And Peter's reaction is he's afraid. My guess is because he didn't know who Jesus was. He'd only heard about him, but he knew who the Messiah would be. And he's guessing Jesus is it. Here's what he says in Luke 5, verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, I love this. From now on, you will be what, church? You'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That's quite a snapshot. They quit their jobs. They left their lives behind. They followed Jesus. Same illustration at the beginning when Peter is called as at the end when Jesus has these last few conversations with his disciples. But the difference is the first conversation was Jesus saying to Peter, this is who you need to be. This is who I want you to be. I want you to be my disciple. The second conversation with Peter is, this is what I want you to do. Peter had all of the three years that he was with Jesus to become the man that Jesus wanted him to be, a disciple, a sold out follower of Jesus Christ. The last time that Jesus pulls the prank, he says, Peter, this is what I want you to do. 
feed my sheep. Don't get distracted, don't get discouraged, don't lose focus. Feed my sheep. The fields are white unto harvest, or in Peter's case, the sea is full of fish. Let's go get them. Use your time wisely. Work together, there's no time to waste. Observation number three. Sending followers out, sending witnesses out like Jesus did here in John chapter 21 and in other places in scripture, all three occasions, all centered around sending these followers out and reminding them they're not alone. Not only would Jesus be with them, but they would be with a group of people all doing the same thing. Sending his followers out was not only a call for his disciples, Jesus' disciples, but it would be a call for all the disciples that would follow them. This is also, by the way, Jesus' last prayer for you and me before he was crucified on the cross. Jesus prays in John 17. On the night he was crucified, Jesus prayed this prayer to his father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That's the same theme. The Father sent the Son into the world to save the world, and now the Son sends his disciples and the disciples that they would make and the disciples that they would make and the disciples and, all, and so on and so on and so on until it comes down to us. We are sent out into the world by Jesus Christ. Anyone who carries the message of Jesus Christ is sent into the world with the same message. That message is meant to change us first, and then it's meant to change people through us. This is a message of Jesus that rallies his people and unifies his people. If you read further down in John 17 and verse 18, and for their sake, Jesus continues to pray to the Father. Jesus prays, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, these people around me, Jesus says, but also for those who will, now notice this, who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. This passage is compelling for a couple of different reasons. First of all, it gives us our message that we take into the world today. And our message is the same message that Jesus preached in his day, that his disciples took in their day and that we take into our day. The truth that we feed on is the same truth that has been carried throughout all generations and it continues to make disciples today. Now read the last line of this passage of scripture and answer this question, what is at stake? That they may believe that you have sent me. What is at stake? Souls. Souls are at stake. Our job as the disciples of Jesus Christ who have received the message from the people before us and the people before them and the people before them and however you came to know the Lord, as you came to know the Lord, it was a message of truth that has been passed down from Jesus' disciples through generations and it is the same message that can change the world today. The purer the message, the more likely people are to understand and have their souls saved by Jesus Christ so that the world may believe that God sent his only begotten son 
And last observation is number four. The world and the followers of Jesus' message are two separate groups. Jesus makes a distinction between those who are his disciples and those who are in the world. I had a guy ask me not, not long ago, he said, what, what is, who are the world? What is this, this uh, uh, enigmatic group that we can't put our hands around? What is this group of, of people? The best way to understand that is that Jesus has chosen a group of people that will be pulled out of the world and that would take the message of the gospel back into the world. Jesus is concerned that his sheep would be vulnerable if they weren't growing in the Lord, if they weren't growing strong together in the Lord. His group needed to group together. On their own, they would be vulnerable. Together, they would be strong. And so he calls them out from the world and puts them into a group. Jesus has given us a group where we can serve, where we can be fed, where we could grow, where we could gather and rally. And that group is called the church. In fact, Matthew 16, 18, it says this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The world is typically seen as the culture that we currently live in. And for our parents, it was the culture that they lived in. And for their parents, it was the culture that they lived in. The world is the culture that lives all around us and the church never changes. The church keeps the message the same, might change methodology, but it's still the group that is called out of the world. God preserves truth in order to challenge any culture that comes after Jesus Christ. Let me talk to you about what church means, all right? In the church, if we're wondering why we should come to church, which is the theme of the day, what difference will church make? Well, if you sometimes are confused as to what's going on in culture, join the club. And if you're not confused about what's going on in culture, I would love to sit down and you'd explain it to me because I am confused about what's going on in culture. And I guarantee you this, in five years, I will be even more confused as to what's going on in culture because 10 years ago, stuff that I wasn't allowed to talk about is now not only allowed to be talked about, but promoted, and if you talk about anything different from a different viewpoint, you are the enemy. Culture drastically changes from generation to generation. The truth of God never changes. That's why the Bible that you hold in your hand or the tablet that you have your Bible on contains words that Jesus himself was using 2,000 years ago. Culture will change. God's word does not. That is why in the church, culture can constantly be challenged. Do you know what the word for church means or what the word church is in the Greek? Anybody know? Somebody does. What's the word for church in Greek? Ekla, what? Ekklesia. Gold star for Matt in the front row. Yes, ekklesia. Do you know what ekklesia means? Look on the screen. I bet you'll be able to cheat and find out, all right? Ek is a word for out and klesane means to call. What does the word ekklesia mean? To call out. The word church, that's right, the word church means called out 
ones. That simply means that the group that you began in, you need to be brought out of. Every one of us is born with a sinful nature and things that come natural to our sinful nature. And culture will give us a gold star if we are able to keep up with them in our sinful nature. God's truth comes along, takes off the blindfolds, helps us to see through the power of the Holy Spirit, and in a sense, calls us out of the world in which we feel comfortable and puts us into a different group. And that different group is called the church. We, followers of Jesus Christ, we belong to a different group of people. So, if you ever feel like you don't fit into the culture around you, huzzah! It sounds like you belong to a different group. It doesn't mean you need to be belligerent. It doesn't mean you need to be obstinate. It doesn't mean you need to be a jerk about things. It just means you're not gonna think the same. You're not gonna dream the same. You're not gonna buy the same stuff. You're not gonna act the same. Your values are gonna be drastically different because you are operating from a set of values that was established thousands of years ago that Jesus used to say, if you build on this rock, I will build my church on this rock and no matter what storms may come, you're on solid ground. The culture, they're always shifting, always shifting sands. Faith that is given to us is not given to us so that we can hide it. Does that ring a bell with you? Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? We talked about this. Jesus said, uh, if you light a candle and you put a candle in a room, what kind of a person would light a candle, put a candle in the room, and then look for a big basket to put over it? Right, that's why did you light the candle? It makes no sense, right? Jesus has lit his truth in us so that we can bring light to the room, light to the culture. And I wanna tell you, as an individual, you are able to do that. You know how you can do it better? If one candle gets with another candle and another candle and another candle and another, can you imagine if we can fill up a room full of candles, there's no darkness that could hide in that room. That is the church. Faith is not given to us so that we can figure out how to fit in. Faith is given to us so that we can realize we're different. And if you belong to a church and that church sounds like it doesn't exactly go with culture, there's a reason for that. It's because you're with a group of people that operate with a different set of values. God calls us out of the world and puts us into the church. We are not called out so that we can learn to fit in. We're called out to be different. Now here's the irony. After we're called out to be different, Jesus sends us back into the world so that we can shine as lights. This is how the word of God, this is how the gospel works through us to change the world. And this is what all three conversations Jesus has after the resurrection with his disciples, this is what he's getting at. I have called you out and now I'm sending you back. The church that I fellowship with is meant to impact every area of life. It's meant to impact my relationships, my desires, my finances, my family life, and everything likely will speak against the culture in how I do these things. God says to Peter, listen, your life is about one thing now. You've gotta go help people understand how to maneuver 
in the world. Because there's a lot of Christians out there that don't know what to do. They don't know the answers. They don't have enough foundation to be able to say that's right and that's wrong. And they are listening to all of these different voices that pull them because of their relationships they, they have with people in culture. It's completely understandable. So the one thing, Peter, that I need you to do is on a regular basis, please, for God's sake, feed the sheep. Tell them the truth, remind them of the truth, emphasize the truth, preach the truth, teach the truth. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a power of God unto salvation. And if you think it's foolish, you're about there. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. The ecclesia is God's method of taking us out of the world and putting us back into the world so that we can share the message, the gospel, the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to Peter, some people that follow you afterwards are gonna carry on the message of the gospel. They have not experienced miracles like you have. They haven't seen me walk on water. They haven't had the chance to walk on water like you did. And you remember, you blew it, but you, they didn't have that chance. They didn't have the chance to see me uh, down the Pharisees and, and, and preach the truth. They didn't see me raise Lazarus to life, but you have. So you have got to take that message and convince them truth, feed them well. Some people you're gonna run into are gonna be starving. They've sampled all the sugary candy that people can give them. Life is a buffet and they've taken from the buffet and they've never really gotten the meat of what life is about. Peter, your life right now is about teaching them what real food is. Amen. Some people don't know what to eat. There's too many voices speaking at them. They don't know truth. They'll, they are too confused because of all these voices telling them that their food is the best food. Peter, feed them the right things. That's why I spend hours preparing these messages on Sunday because my goal is to feed you well, to feed you the right things so that you can go and you can feed others. Feed my sheep. Do you know what kind of food it takes to sustain a church? <laughs> it's all the way through scripture. But Jesus says it best in Matthew 4.4. Jesus answered the devil and he says, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is telling Peter, be about the business of feeding my sheep the right things and on a regular basis. And it's not just Peter, because you remember, this is only one of three conversations that all have the same theme. Here's one of the other two, <clears throat> Matthew 28. Jesus speaks to all the disciples and he says, go, therefore, don't stay here, go. Go therefore, and what are the next two words, church? Make this is it. Go make disciples of all nations, Canadians included, <laughs> baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that, where do they get their information from? All that Jesus commanded them. You get the theme? The message of the gospel is just as powerful today through us as it was for the disciples at the beginning of the church 2,000 years ago. Feed my sheep well. Grow strong in the truth. The local church 
is meant to put the gospel into real time. Now here's the challenge. The gospel is an offense to culture. It is the weirdest thing. The more love you show them, the more they hate you for it. It is the weirdest thing. Some churches are tempted to conform to culture so that they'll keep people in their pews. And I wanna tell you, there's no lines at liberal churches. Nobody's banging to get down the door, to get in the, do- in the door. We don't get to create church for our culture. We have to preserve truth in our church. We are given the message of the disciples that has been given to other people, that has been given to other churches, that has been given to other local churches, that has been bled and shed blood for, that has, been, that has been tested, that has been tried to be killed, the Bible has tried to get rid of. I, there's been a genre of violent history against the true church for generations until you have entered into the scene and you pick up what has always been passed down. Our goal is not to recreate the church. Our goal is to preserve the truth of God in our church. We pass on what we have received. We say at every communion, Paul says, I pass on what was delivered to me. And that's our goal too. The church is called in 1 Timothy 1, verse three to five, it's called, or or, uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, the church is called the pillar and buttress of the truth. (laughs) I love that. A pillar, what does a, when you I get an idea of a pillar, what does a pillar do? It holds something up, it supports something. The church is the pillar of the truth. Isn't that great? We are the pillar of the truth. We don't get to change the truth so that we can figure out how to get more people in the church. We get to preserve the truth, to uphold the truth, to value the truth, to teach the truth, to live by the truth so that our culture can be impacted by the truth. If we sell anything other than a pure gospel, we're wasting our time. The gospel is always an offense. It always will be, but in the church, the gospel brings life and the gospel brings hope. Which brings me to point number two. My church can be, why should I go to church? Because in church, my family can be exposed to an environment of hope. This is a great reason to make church attendance a regular thing. The gospel, do you know what gospel means? You didn't get ecclesia very well. Do you know what gospel is a Greek word too. Do you know what gospel means? Yes, good news, good. All right, you're all resolved, all right. Gospel means good news. Do you understand what good news is? When you come home at the end of the day and you've had a crappy day, when you walk through the door, wouldn't you love to hear some good news? If your spouse says to you, hey, I've got some good news. Do you, do you go, you know what, just hang on, I don't wanna hear it. <laughs> right? Or do you go, oh, for goodness sakes, please give me some good news. The gospel literally is two words. The gospel means good news. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that sin has been defeated. The good news that sin has no authority over us or our families. The good news that your family does not have to be a victim of culture. The good news that you don't have, and you and your family do not have to look like every other family on the block. The good news is you can be different. You should be different. You're a light meant to shine in the darkness. There's more good news than that. The curse of sin has been broken in the church. There's a high likelihood that most of you know the Lord as your savior. Do you know what that means? 
When you die, it's just a little wait, and then you get to see the rest of us eventually. This, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's an interesting thing to say at that point in time. The good news is, means that the, the curse of sin has been broken in the church. We are no longer enemies of God. We are now sons and daughters of the living God. In the Bible, it says we are brothers with Jesus Christ. We are adopted into the family of God. That's good news. Romans 12.4 says this, for as one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So in other words, the elbow doesn't do what the fingers do and the fingers don't do what the knee does. Everything in the, in the body works differently. In the church, it works the same way. We all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You know what that means? You don't have to do life on your own. Amen. You don't have to figure this out on your own. You, you got a family. And if your family that you're used to is stinky, here's better news. Even here's gooder news. The family that you are in in the church is the best family of all. You know why? Because we gather every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every background, every economical list scale, everything. We gather for one purpose, and that is to worship the same God through Jesus Christ who bought us to be his own. You don't have to weather this world on your own. The church in the Bible was turning the world upside down. Widows and orphans and the needy were being taken care of. Spirit-filled leadership came alongside of them to help them understand scripture better. They were worshiping together one Lord and the family of God together. Almost every book in the New Testament was written to a church. I've heard so many times that church is not important. Then why do we have Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians and Colossians? And why do we have a, a book written to Timothy, who is a pastor of a church? And why do we have Revelation written to the seven churches in, in Asia Minor? God loves his church. This is his group. He speaks to his church. He preserved his word for his church. The book of Philippians is written to the city of Philippi, the church there. The book of Ephesians is written to the, the church at Ephesus. The book of Galatians is written to the, book of, uh, to the church at Galatia. Corinthians, the same thing. Over and over, these groups of people are given truth so that they can disseminate it together, live by it, encourage one another with it, and understand how God wants them to live. These guys spread the gospel together and they change the world. The church is where you can discover your larger, healthy church family. So if you don't have a healthy family at home, here's good news. There's a very healthy family you can belong to called the church. And you won't click with everybody. But I guarantee you, you'll find someone who'll become like a brother or sister to you. Individuals are called to have a relationship with one another just like Jesus had with the Father. That is intimate. Jesus says, in, uh, God gives us this in Ephesians 2 and verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This is the message that was handed down to us. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, get the pillar idea, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This church can grow as we grow together as a church. That's oneness and it's a miracle of the church. 
Jesus prayed for unity in the church like he had unity with the Father. Now, if I were to sit down with you and ask you, what kind of unity did Jesus have with the Father? Would any of you say, I don't think they were very good friends at all? Or would you, would you say, well, Craig, that's a trinity. They were like the same person. They were one. Jesus' prayer for his church is that we would know unity like he knew with the Father. That is intimate and deep and personal and vulnerable and transparent and real. <coughs> every tribe, every nation, every culture, every generation, all gathered around one person and in one mission. Finally, in the church, my skills can make a direct impact. God preserves his people so that he can serve us, so that we can serve the world. He gives us gifts to bless others. Here's a passage of scripture. I love this one. This is one of my favorite, actually. Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, would you read the next few words for me? Let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Who is the household of faith? The church. Do you realize that you're giving gifts by God to especially be used in church? That's crazy, isn't it? That means that God fully intends to bless you with an extra special gift. All of us have different gifts. Maybe you can do a couple of different things, but you have one really special gift, and that gift is given to you especially to bless the church. Fallen hands, fallen people, broken images, imaging God through his power. We begin to destroy the curse of sin piece by piece in the way that we love and serve each other so that the world can see Christ in us. That's why Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. God strengthens his people as Jesus served, we are meant to serve, and God gives us the ability to do that. I love it when Jesus even stooped to wash the disciples' feet. <laughs> if you're wondering, well, Craig, my gift isn't very important. All I can do is wash feet. Well, apparently that is about, about the best thing that you could do because that's what Jesus did. There's no gift too small to be used. We serve one another. And listen, it's not just here on Sunday mornings. You are empowered by the Spirit and gifted by God so that you can serve one another in every aspect of life. Husbands, serve your wives. Wives, serve your husbands. I can't do that. How could I ever do that? Because God has given you strength to do it. It is the call of the church that we would regularly serve one another, especially those who are in the household of faith. Parents serve children. Church leaders serve the sheep. Sheep serve each other. Our business is about doing the business of Jesus and his business was about serving us. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And that's why we're here. So if you're in a church that is not serving, you need to get into one that is or become a catalyst to change the church that you're in. What we feed on is meant to be practiced and cultivated in an environment of grace so that we can grow. 
And if you feel like your gifts aren't being used, then try them in a different place. The church is a wonderful place where you are given grace to try all kinds of different gifts until you find just that right niche where your gifts can really be used. So, so what? Here's some common phrases that you might hear regarding church attendance. And I'm curious to see how you would answer these. Here's a few. Number one, I don't get anything out of church. How would you answer that one? I want to ask you how many of you used that one, but how would you answer that one? What's that? Then you don't pay attention? Then you're not listening? You get out what you put into it? You guys, yeah, that's pretty good, yeah. What's that? We got food, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. We got donuts today. Yeah. Thank you for the donuts, Leah. <laughs> yes, do you want to say that into the microphone? <laughs> I don't get anything out of church. Well, again, church is not where you come to get. Church is where you come to give. You are gifted to serve, especially those who are in a household of faith. Go somewhere where you can give. And I got to tell you, it's upside down just like everything God does is, everything is upside down. If you're bummed and you're thinking to yourself, I don't ever get served, here's a breakthrough for you. Get off your rear and go serve somebody else. Because you will be amazed at how much you get out of it. Everything's upside down in the kingdom of God. If you want to be served or if you want to be fulfilled, go serve. How about this one? Church is full of hypocrites. (laughs) I know. My response to church is full of hypocrites is, yeah, I know. (laughs) Seriously, I met some of them. I'm kind of like one myself, I got to tell you. Yeah, we're all sinners. Yeah, and if you think you're not a hypocrite sometimes, well, you should really teach a class or you probably should be preaching this message because church is full of hypocrites and liars and broken people and those who are out for selfish gain that have been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We come so that we can feed on truth and that truth will change us from who we were into who God wants us to be. How about this one? Church is not a Jesus idea. Never heard that one before? Well, you don't hang with the same people that I do. Because I would say the same thing. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Church is Jesus' idea. Where, do, where were these sheep going to come from? They were kind of come and into the fold of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Jesus worked with Israel. That was his crew. And in the New Testament, Jesus works through the church. And that's us. How about this one? I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. What do you think of that one? Have you heard that one before? Finally, I get one you've heard before. What do you think of that one? How would you answer that one? All right, and what did you say? You're absolutely right. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. What's that? Exactly, right. How do you grow? How do you test your faith? How do you serve? How do you give? How do you become part of what God's doing around the world? How do you love one another if you're sitting at home loving 
you know, your family or yourself. Now listen, I'm not legalistic. I'm not gonna guilt you into coming to church regularly, all right? Not gonna do it. Nor am I gonna stroke your apathy by telling you that you are free in Christ to neglect church. Both of those are extreme positions. But what I would say is not why should I go to church, but why shouldn't I go to church? If church is who Jesus died for, if church is what Jesus talked about, if church is who the New Testament is all written to, if church is where the Spirit of God is alive and well, especially on a regular gathering of people together, the question is, why wouldn't you go to church? Jesus put this into motion. He said, feed my sheep. Where else is this going to happen? Giving them information to change the culture giving the ability to serve and use their gifts together, giving them an environment where they can get hope on a regular basis through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the church, my culture can be challenged. In the church, my family can be regularly exposed to hope-filled environment. And in the church, my skills can make a direct impact on others. And I give you this verse, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir one up. Uh, up. I need your help on this. Here we go. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the day drawing near? There's a day drawing near when the church will be gone. The church will be removed from this planet and all hell will break loose. There will be no reservoirs of God's grace to pour over a broken culture and the broken culture will take over altogether. At that point of time, we have the tribulation that will begin and all hell will break loose. When Jesus removes the church, I don't want to be here. And I won't be. And I hope you won't be either, but we still have time. Don't neglect the meeting of yourselves together as is the habit of some. Apparently way back in, in the New Testament time, some were going, ah, oh, I'm gonna sleep in today. <laughs> but use it to encourage one another because the day is coming when church will be no more and the light will be taken away. What difference can church make? I wanna wet your whistle this summer. Michael and I are working on a series um, that is gonna highlight the values and the vision of Village Church. So that's coming up in the summer. It's gonna be really cool to work through. I had a bunch of stuff that I wanted to go through here, but I'm not gonna do it. Um, but you're gonna learn about what Village is. You're gonna learn what go, grow, overcome means. When you leave and you walk down the hallway, you'll see those words on the banner. Go, grow, and overcome. I'll break those down for you. I'll tell you what makes Village unique from other churches in our area. Um, and why we fellowship with other churches in our area, which we're doing a lot of and we're gonna do a lot more of, which I'm very excited about here in Carroll Stream. The church is about shining the light together. The church is the unstoppable force of Jesus Christ. I remind you one more time. I tell you, Jesus said to Peter, I tell you, you are Peter, Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, if you don't get what this says, let me just tell you this. It's my closing here, so it's good. Peter is just asked by Jesus, who do you say that I am? 
And Peter said to Jesus, after, after that first prank on the boat, Peter's convinced. Remember how afraid he was. Peter now is convinced because he left all he had and followed Jesus. He's convinced Jesus is the Messiah. So Jesus says to him, who do people say that I am? More importantly, Peter, who do you say that I am? Do you know what Peter said? You are the Christ, the chosen one sent from God. You're the guy we've been waiting for. You're the savior of the world. And then Jesus says this. He uses this as a play on words. He says, you're Peter. Your word means rock. But there is a greater rock that I'm gonna build my church on than any human being. And that is the rock of the truth that you just said, I am the Messiah. That's the truth. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's what carries into our church and into the church that we leave behind us. You are Peter, and on this rock of truth, I will build my church. That's the truth that changes lives through every generation, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, sometimes we read this and we think to ourselves, we're holding out hell. Have you ever seen a gate move? In order to make a firm gate, you need to have a solid wall, a solid wall that holds it up or solid pillars that hold it up, right? Gates are not meant to move. They open and they shut. Gates stay, stay in one place. That's what a gate does. You want to make sure your gates are locked and firm. Jesus says, you're the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Do you know what that means? Who has the gates, the church or hell? Hell has the gates. Who is storming the gates? We are storming the gates. The church is the unstoppable force of Jesus Christ. We are the force that tears down the gates. We are the force that charges the gates. We drag captives out of hell and we bring them into the kingdom of God. We are the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Mm. If you're feeling weak spiritually, under attack, under attacks you can't seem to withstand and you're not attending church regularly, you're doing yourself a great disservice. In the church, God proclaims his truth to changing cultures. God strengthens his people to serve the world and God expedites his mission, the gospel, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. You'll find strength in a healthy church and you and your family should really attend church on a regular basis. What do you think? Amen. Compelling? I hope so. It is for me too. I'm so compelled by this message, I've given my life to it a long time ago. And I'm so grateful that the Lord called me to use my gifts in a very extra special way for his church. I get to feed his sheep on a regular basis. And it is my pleasure, my honor, to do that with you on a, every, every week. It's really a blessing. I love being your pastor. Thank you. Thank you, pastor. Let's pray. So Lord, we come to uh, the end of this topic of uh, what makes church, what makes any difference if I go to church, if I don't. I pray, Father, that your spirit was able to work through 
the words that were shared in song and in service and everything so that people, when they came in today, they really had an experience of church. We have so many Sundays that we walk by and we just take it for granted. What people would give to have a relationship like we have with people in this room and others who are not, not able to be here today. Even the ability we have to go to another, another city and find a church where there are brothers and sisters who worship the same God, who bow at the same cross that we do. It's an amazing blessing. Thank you for preserving your church. And thank you for calling us to be a part of it. I pray that we wouldn't do anything to damage it. I pray that we would preserve it and we would cherish it, that we would love it, and that we would become a part of making it stronger. May you use us in this generation through this church. May you use us to take your truth into the world. And through us, Lord, may you shine lights that would change generations and destinies for you. There's a lot riding on this. So I pray you give us the strength to do it and the humility to do it well. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As I was preparing this message and thinking about communion, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 begins, verse 23. Every time we do this passage of scripture, we always begin with the same words. Paul says, that which I receive from the Lord, I now pass on to you. The message of the gospel cannot be improved. It's as good as it can possibly be. Our job is to share it with as many as we can so that we can pull people out of the dark and show them the light, the hope, the joy of what it means to be part of God's family. Every time we do communion, we really, in a sense, we continue the communion service that Jesus began so many years ago in the upper room. When he spent time with his disciples, the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is the blood of the new covenant. My blood, which is the new covenant. The new covenant is solidified and celebrated in the church. The new covenant is the fact that the spirit of God dwells in us. It's a blessing that if you know Christ as your savior, you have the spirit of God in you. I have the spirit of God in me. I know Jesus as my savior. We have the spirit of God. And so when we come together, we are stronger force together. That's why the church is amazing because it's like-minded people drawn by one God, fellowshipping in one spirit to worship one savior. And every time we come to the table, that's what we celebrate. Come on in guys. So when you take the juice, that is a reminder to us that this is the blood that draws us together as one. This is the blood that was shed so that we could be forgiven of sins. And when you eat the bread, that's a celebration that Jesus gave his body for us. His body was torn apart by spears and nails so that we could receive forgiveness of sins and find a place to belong. Every time we take communion, we carry on the same, the same purpose that Jesus did in that upper room so many years ago. 
which is an amazing concept because after we're gone, people will celebrate communion for the same reasons that we do. It's an ongoing communion service that we get to do. And we do it until, remember how it ends? Do this until he comes again. And then we'll have the best buffet ever. If you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you are a part of church. Uh, you may not be a part of a local church. I would encourage you to become a part of a local church. Uh, uh, Brent is gonna be teaching a class next Sunday. And if you'd like to find out what Village Church is about and whether or not you'd like to join our church, you see that man right there, you can sign up online, ask him what it's gonna be about. He'll give you a whole dissertation, you'll love it. Join us next week and uh, you'll find out what Village Church is all about but you gotta find a local church where you can celebrate because this is where communion takes place too. And um, this is where we get to commune around one God, one Savior, Jesus Christ. The blood or the, the juice doesn't change and the cracker doesn't change. Nothing supernatural happens. It is a celebration because it reminds us of what it took so that we could become the family of God. If you do not know Jesus as your savior, we are glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're willing to listen and, and research and figure out where you are in your relationship with the Lord. Every one of us had to do the same thing in some way or another. Our prayer is that Jesus would reach down and grab a hold of you and pull you out of the world and in, into his family of God, into the church. But if you don't know Jesus as your savior, you're not quite sure you buy into any of this this morning, then we would ask that you just pass a plate to the person next to you. Not because we wanna make a, 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 a spectacle of you, but just because we don't want you to claim something that's not true for you yet. And we would love to share with you the gospel and how Jesus can change your life. The way we do it here is we're gonna pass the plates along. When you receive the juice and the bread, stand, sing with us. The band will be playing, stand, and, and the bread and the cup will go all the way to the very back until we're all standing and singing together and then I'll come up and we'll eat and drink together. The reason we do that is because we all are equally sinners saved by grace, which is why I stand on the floor. I'm not any different than you are. Just gifted differently and you're gifted uniquely as well. Before we do any of that, um, I'd encourage you just to take a moment. We're gonna have a moment of silence and if you would mind praying this morning, just thanking God. Maybe you haven't thanked him for the church in a while. Just take some time and find one unique thing about how the church has blessed you and thank him for it in this moment. Would you bow your heads and spend some time with the Lord? Thank you, Father, that you've expanded our family. You've given us lots of opportunities to learn new people, new foibles, <laughs> unique personalities to appreciate different characteristics. But all of it because you enjoy colorful family members. Thank you for calling us to be a part of your family. 
I pray that we would, now as we take communion, be reminded of what it took so that we could be sons and daughters, adopted family members of a holy God. Thank you for dying on the cross and shedding your blood, giving us your body so that our sins could be forgiven and we could have a relationship with our true father. Help us celebrate that well right now in Jesus' name, amen.